The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello and welcome to Provoke Podcasts. I am Diana Marzalek. I am a senior reporter with Provoke Media in New York. I have two guests with me today. I have Marjane Moore Roberts, who heads diversity and inclusion for Interpublic's PR and marketing group. And I have Stephen Macias from Rogers and Cowan PMK, who leads their multicultural practice. So hello and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. us. So we're convening today um, in midst of of a very tough week on on a lot of fronts and especially in the world that you two are working in in diversity and inclusion with the um, George Floyd murder and the ensuing protests and um, you know, I just kind of wanted to talk about your, your, how you're feeling this at work, um, what you're seeing, what do people want to do? Do people know what to do? Um, what has this week been like for you? Yeah, you know, thank you, first of all, for giving us the opportunity to have this discussion. Um, I think it's, uh, there's, a, there's a, a phrase called all the things. Uh, which means that you feel um, almost every emotion simultaneously because uh, the things that have happened are at once outrageous, sad, frustrating, frightening, uh, particularly if you're a black person in in the society, if you're a black man, uh, traumatic. And it's just one tsunami of emotion that's coming out of this uh, from a personal level. Um, And then at the same time, if you happen to be an inclusion and diversity practitioner, there's the added layer of, you know, knowing that you, and sort of what you wait for is the opportunity to help lead people through um, some of these feelings and through some of the issues that cause these events. And so you also feel the energy of that. You feel the energy of the opportunity to really hope that these, um, these things that are happening provide you with an opportunity to really make a concrete, to show people concrete examples of how systemic inequities and systemic racism and all of these really um, long lasting systemic issues play a role in our everyday lives. And you know, one thing that I bring into this conversation, and I hope it's okay with you, um, is also, you know, there, Ahmaud Aubrey is part of this dialogue, Breonna Taylor is part of this dialogue. But I'd also bring our attention to the Amy Cooper incident that happened in Central Park last week. Because in a lot of ways, as tragic as the other incidents are and, and, and have been, um, the Amy Cooper incident in the park is almost more instructive for um, our immediate use case um, in corporate America. And so, you know, again, it's an opportunity for us to use these events as tragic as they are and unfortunate as they are as a call to action. And so there's a certain energy behind that as a diversity and inclusion practitioner uh, that also goes into the, into the bucket of things mm-hmm. that, we are, that I am feeling and the people I talk to are feeling. And, 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 and to sort of piggyback on what Marjane is talking about, I think all of us who work in the space feel um, even more responsible uh, to be a good partner, to be a good ally, to be a good agency partner for our clients. This is a, this is a painful time, but this is not a time that is just starting. I mean, I think, you know, when we, you know, talk with our teammates, with our clients, um, you know, we think about those people that have lost their lives at the hands of social injustice. 
much as we were thinking about the um, disproportionate effect on communities of color during the COVID crisis that is still going on. And then, you know, you keep going further back and further back, you know, with the COVID crisis, communities of color have um, more underlying health conditions, but that's not where the conversation ends. That's another part of where it starts. Why do communities of color have less access to health care? Why have we systemically for generations not been able to have the same level of care with our health and with our economic opportunities? And so these things around the economic crisis, the things around our health care crisis, the things around the ongoing um, race relations and the crisis that has spilled out to our streets is something that is not new for many of us. And mm -hmm. for those in our uh, workplace, for some of them, it, it is. This is a difficult moment for good people to absorb who may not have been as aware of all the folks that we've been talking about, who may not know that there was a young 14-year-old boy uh, by the name of Emmett Till who um, made the egregious error in the United States to say something to a white woman. He was kidnapped from his great uncle's home. He was tortured, his body was mutilated, and he was killed. And you know, for a while during that period of time, his mother insisted on having an open casket so that they could see what had happened to her child and the country was outraged until it wasn't. And I think for a lot of us, as we continue to sort of work through this week, what we hope is that this is not a moment that has a beginning and a middle and an end, because this is not the beginning, the middle, or the end for what is happening to our communities of color. And yet, now we're seeing, I mean, we work with smart people and, you know, giving everybody the benefit of doubt who really are, um, do want diversity and inclusion, who, who stand for it, who are behind the efforts. Why now, does, is this the aha moment? Um, because of the, I mean, we've, we've had racial strife before. Um, is it the aha moment for the people that we work with, for the leaders? Are they seeing that this is real? Are they understanding it? That this is something you have to address in the workplace just as a microcosm of the world? I think so. I, I, listen, I think that there's a different energy here than I felt before. I think that there is, and I, you know, th there's no magic bullet. I think it's part of what Stephen is saying as well, because I think that, you know, three, three or four years ago when we were in a scenario where we were dealing with, um, you know, back to back to back to back um, murders of black men around Philando Castile and Eric Garner and Alton Sterling. And then there was the Dallas police shootings on top of that, all of those things were rate, uh, motivated by race. Um, though that was a moment when we thought, okay, we're at a tipping point. Now we're, we're all going to get together. And somehow that, that moment passed and, you know, it was in the midst of, um, you know, an election that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, transformative, trans, uh, transformative for, for our country. But what I feel now is this sense that I didn't feel then is this sense of shared responsibility. And there's actually an anti-racist moment or movement almost and you know that's been brought on and there's always been white um allies who've been activists you know way way back you know to birmingham way back to the the civil rights you know uh, movement of the 60s but this feels like we have engagement from just a much broader coalition of people it feels like more people are fed up 
it feels like more people than just black people are enraged. Now, could there be more? Yes. <laughs> but the fact is that, you know, one of the biggest challenges around these issues, both, you know, whether, again, they're the big sensational issues that, you know, the tragic issues of, of people dying or in corporate America, is that it has been hard for people to get their head around what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And so you have someone saying that was a racist moment, that was a microaggression, that was an, an inequitable treatment. You know, even though the data consistently backs this up, but now you're seeing people before your very eyes, you're watching two scenarios. You're watching a woman who doesn't want to be told, similar to the Emmett Till thing, by the way, mm -hmm. a woman whose sensibilities, you know, were sort of offended. You know, mm -hmm. you're seeing this before your eyes. So it's very difficult to deny what is happening, mm -hmm. especially when you look at that video. Um, and you, you look at this video and you think, well, what you, you almost don't want to believe it. Right. And so I think the big difference here is video, I, it, the evolved video and, and the, the repetitive nature of these types of events. Again, even outside of the, the big, you know, the awful deaths of, of all of these people, when you start to put it in the context of everyday life and you have video of, you know, a black man driving a truck and being blocked in by someone, a white man in the neighborhood who doesn't think he belongs there. Someone barbecuing in the park and they don't believe that you should be able to barbecue. Someone trying to swim in a pool in, the in their neighborhood, having the police caught on them. Someone going to the office in a building where they lease an office from and someone calling the police on them. When you have these kind of uh, repeated examples that you can review and go back and rewind and look at again, it's, it's, it's much harder to deny. And I think now that people are able to see it and classify it and we're giving people language for it, that people um, who are conscientious and, can, you know, frankly, consider themselves to be allies are ready to activate. And that's significant. That's what we need. That's how we get to a tipping point. I imagine when you, uh -huh. Please go on. No, I was just going to add to what Marjane was talking about. When you add on that element of live video fueled by, or tape video fueled by um, the, the internet shared um, quickly across smartphones across the country, those pieces Absolutely. of information move so much faster. And then the other part about what's different right now, I think from where I sit here in my home in Hollywood and some of the, um, the younger uh, staff members at our agency, is that this is a generation of people um, who are millennials and Gen Zers who grew up in a world where they didn't know what it was like for there to be a law where a black man and a white woman were not allowed legally to marry. They're growing up in a world where they did not know that a same-sex couple uh, could not be married legally. They are growing up in a world where they don't have to imagine what it would be like for an African-American man and his wife to become the president and the first lady. So there's a different expectation from generations that are behind us. And those generations are there to make change. Those generations from you know, a, a, a client and a consumer perspective expect different things from the people that are reaching out to them across every level. And that is the one part about what's happening this week that actually fuels my hope. It's been a, 
um, a rough couple of months for all of us in this country with the virus and with everything that's happened as far as the economic crisis and being in our homes and, you know, being on top of each other. And as much as we love our family members, it would be nice just to say bye bye. At least can we go somewhere and argue? <laughs> right. can, can we, can we go Change of scenery. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think it's significant, the, the world that you, you know, sort of your awareness for what is and what isn't, right? There's a strength in that. That's where a lot of our biases are born out of, right? So just what you're used to seeing, what's been normalized for you and reinforced over and over again. And I think Stephen makes an important point. This is a, a generation or the upcoming generations, they, they, their history, they, they know history as uh, having a, you know, a, a African-American president and marriage equality and, and, and many things that, you know, certainly my mother's generation and even ours, um, you know, didn't know. You know, I don't want to be naive, though, because while I am hopeful by the engagement I see, you know, across this broad coalition of races and genders and, you know, uh, sexual orientations and, you know, all of these things, we do know and we can see an equally strong resistance to this movement and what we're trying to change in racial equality and you know i think that 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 means we have to really pay attention to the systems because the questions are not if we keep looking at the individual to try and understand how we change this whole dynamic around racial equality we're going to keep missing the point because you have to consider what does what kind of system supports um over and over again that every time that, that, you know, I think it, you can change the names, Trayvon Martin, Eric Gardner, Orlando, the, the same exact Rodney King, like even 30 years ago, like all of the names, how does this keep happening over and over and over again to the same group of people by the same group of people? This is a systemic issue. And so again, bringing it back to your scenario with Amy Cooper, what is the system that exists that would allow someone that we would think who had sort of this racist, um, this call it a moment in the park, right? And you have to believe that, you know, that perspective she brought to her job, she had a very high paying job, right? right? She had a very, she was a senior executive within a very big firm. And so you have to start to ask the question, how did that play out in the day to day of the decisions that were made? How did that play out if someone were, you know, was being interviewed? How did that play out in someone's career progression? How did that play out in, you know, whether or not a kid got an internship? So you have to start to look at the system, what the system supports, right? And that's really where our work is. And, and if we put our energies into understanding where the systems, um, you know, support this kind of behavior, this kind of belief system, and reconstruct those systems, we'll have a better chance of long-term change well, and I, I really think that's what we want. I, I um, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, no. I, I wrestle with this on your behalf. <laughs> um, when, when I think of, talk about, look at diversity and inclusion in the industry. Um, because you're looking at a microcosm of the world, right? And you're looking at the problems of the world taking place in the office, whether it's unconscious or conscious. And I mean, how do you do that? I mean, that is an overwhelming, you can bring people in, I get it, but for me, the, the idea of inclusion is the hard part also. Um, That's right. You can do hiring left and right, but um, it's got to be immensely frustrating, but also daunting. I mean, I, I, it's just so multi-level. 
from where it I is. You're in the it you're is. in the <laughs> from where I am, it's daunting. No, I think you're I think that's right. <laughs> I think that you're, <laughs> it, it is daunting. It one hundred percent is daunting for, for many reasons. What I see as the difference between the world and corporate America um, is that in corporate America we have a shot, a shot at having a different result. And I'll tell you why. Because they organizations work as semi-closed systems, right? So out in the world, what happens is, you know, everybody has free will, but you have these competing facets of whether it's political, you're Republican, you're a Democrat, whether it's religious, whether it's right, left, all of these different elements fighting for what's right and what's wrong and what they want to be the status quo. Organizations as semi-closed systems have the opportunity to say, we have a set of values here. This is what they are. We want values where inclusion of equity of diversity. And if you set up your systems in a way that support that and by systems, I mean your people systems, how you hire, who you hire, who gets promoted, when they get promoted, how they get evaluated, your market systems, your business systems, taking a look at what the elements are, you can create a system with a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of years, but you can create a system where those are the things that get rewarded. Those are the things that get acknowledged. Those are the things that um, people are held accountable for. And if any of that falls out, the system won't let it persist. So we can't do that out in the world because there's too many other factors. But if you bring it into corporate America, you have a shot. And I, I do mean a shot. I'm not naive. But you, you can see this thing start to play out where that, think about the Me Too movement, right? When it used to be okay to casually sexually harass people. It used to be okay to have to, you know, show a little leg to get a promotion. It used to be okay if a, a client asked you, you know, back to their room and you had to struggle with whether to say no. And now the system supported that. It was almost expected, and when people did it, it wasn't questioned, and people still got high up in their organizations when they did it. What the Me Too movement did is change that system. It's no longer okay. You're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna lose your job. You're gonna have a consequence that you do not want, and people are no longer just gonna be quiet and accept it. We have to create a similar energy around inclusion and diversity. So that at the highest level of the organization, you're saying it, and it's not just lip service, but then it gets cascaded down through every element of what makes the organization work. So you, it's in your values, it's in your principles, it's in your mission, it's in uh, at the leader level, it's how you're evaluated, it's a condition of promotion, it's a condition of your bonus, it's a condition of who you get it, who you get access to in terms of success currencies within the organization. If you layer all of that stuff together, you will change the system. There'll be nowhere to go. So if I'm a person who has a belief about a certain group of people and I express that belief and it has a negative consequence, like I lose my job, like I lose my dog, then I don't have anywhere to go within, within a, an organization. I either get in line, even if it's for that eight hours a day, right? Even if I go home and I believe what I believe and do what I do. But when I'm at work, when I'm in this environment, I know in order to be successful, these are the behaviors, these are the values, this is what I need to be a leader and to be successful and to stay in this environment, these are the things I need to do. I think that's the opportunity for leaders. And if we could figure out how to, how to 
cascade all of that stuff and layer it on top of each other, there's a chance, there's a chance that we can change things. And that change that Marjane is talking about is happening in companies across the country. It, it is what makes going to work less daunting because we are finding our own solutions and we are finding each other uh, mm -hmm. within our CMG network. We have a tremendous amount of talent and leadership that has come together to find and create solutions within our company that then translates for those of us who are working on um, you know, consumer programs, whether it's public relations on the earned side, uh, Marcoms, crisis comms, those networks inside allow us to be better able to serve our clients. And mm -hmm, those mm -hmm, successful 100%. programs that diversify a client's um, consumer base where doing the right thing and increasing your company's bottom line are no longer mutually exclusive. Those programs put fuel back into our tanks because there's nothing more satisfying. I think you know people can relate to this in general. When you set out to do something and you actually check it off your list, whatever that is, a small thing at home or finishing that college degree or watching your children um, uh, you know, walk down the aisle. When we have consumer programs with clients who are looking at partnering uh, with the um, black community, with the Hispanic community, with the LGBTQ community, and we see those results and we see those consumers who are experiencing something pleasurable that a company sees them, sees us, and is welcoming us to the table. Those are the things that make the day less daunting, sort of on the uh, client success side, and then also finding your, your tribe within your own company and expanding it uh, to include both people that are like you and also people that share your similar values. So, you know, those values that Marjane is talking about, I think are what it is that consumers are leaning into more and more and more to look for brands that Absolutely. share their values, that they feel good about spending their money, spending their time, and putting their own personal reputation um, you know, adjacent to whatever they have in their cupboards, whatever they have on their tables, whatever they have hanging in their closets. And those are the things that make sort of the days that do feel daunting um, somewhat hopeful. How do you feel about what you've seen from companies, from your own companies, from brands during the last week? Statements like left and right, but uh, is it good? Are you impressed? Is it words? Is it action? I mean, what, what's your impression of, of what you've seen? Yeah, I, you know, once again, I'd say it's all the things. You know, it's, it's um, you know, some people are knocking it out of the park, mostly because they all, always have, because they've invested in this, um, this, 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 you know, they, they've made their brand synonymous with values around racial equity and racial justice. Uh, the one that keeps coming to the top is Ben and Jerry's. They've made uh, unequivocal, um, definitive statements, you know, about white supremacy and what should be done to address it. They've changed their product. They've created products, right? Within everything within their platform that's authentic to what they do and who they are. Those are the brands that, you know, I, I think have seen the most success. Netflix also comes to mind. That's another great example. You know, they made a very clear statement about staying, um, staying in solidarity with their, with their 
creators and with their customers and with their employees, but they always have, right? So you think about the people and the talent that they have on their platform. It's very diverse. It includes uh, the one of the, the top roster of, you know, sort of black um, um, talent in terms of, you know, movies and, and for what they do on their platform. So the brands that are doing it well are really you know, doing it aligned with, with uh, what is in their authentic voice. Um, I'm proud of what IPG and CMG have done as well. You know, Michael Rock has been one of the, you know, most vocal champions of diversity and inclusion in the industry. He continues to do that. Um, we put out a very, very strong statement. I, you know, he said, we stand in solidarity with the black community, every partner, every client, every employee. That's, that's definitive, that's a declaration and that's what it takes. Um, and, and they back that up. That's not the first time, you know, that IPG has spoken very vocally um, and, and Michael Roth has spoken very vocally about his support for black people, uh, for um, people of color in general, for women. Uh, they've invested, you know, a couple weeks ago when the Asian American community was being hit by xenophobia, uh, he signed the pledge. Um, you know, with Ascend, you know, as part of, of, of companies stepping up to say stop this. So, um, you know, Andy Polanski has, has made a commitment, you know, even a personal pledge, um, you know, to do everything within his power um, to um, root out uh, racism and inequity. So the, those, that kind of, you know, definitive support is very important. The brands who are not doing it well are the brands who are just trying to get in on the conversation because it's hot right now. And unfortunately, that, um, that, that, that comes through. Consumers are not stupid. <laughs> Consumers can see when someone is being yeah. opportunistic and, and they know their history um, about what they've done and in a, in a socially enabled consumer driven environment that's going to come out. And I'll make one more point about that because I, I do think it's important and Stephen, I'll turn it back over to you. But the last point I'll make about that is I think that brands who want to get in the discussion and perhaps don't have the history uh, of having done so before, I don't think it means that you cannot enter into the discussion. I think we this this work needs as many allies as we can get. We should not be turning people away who want to help, who want to speak out against injustice and racial inequity. What brands have to do, though, they have to be thoughtful. They have to be candid about why they weren't in it before. They have to say. We see, we, we were blind and now we see. <laughs> so and that's to speak. okay, right? I mean, to get in the conversation, sometimes you have to admit, like, you have to start. <laughs> I know what that's to right. <laughs> but don't try and co opt the movement to your right. benefit. Have right. it be aligned. You know, Scott Farrell is, you know, one of our um, crisis executives. And what he says, very, and I, I love this point, he said, if it's not within your value, your, your, your barometer about whether or not you do it, if it's a, within your values, you're not going to care about whether or not you get called out on it, right? Because you're going to be aligned with your values. You're going to be candid. You're going to be honest about why you're doing it, how you're doing it. But the brands who are wavering, right? Should we do it? Should we get in that? That's not a, that's not a good sign to start with because you have to, you have to do it because it's authentic to who you are, authentic to your values and what you really believe. So I'm a fan of brands entering the conversation in the right way. They just have to be prepared for the follow-up questions, which absolutely includes what are you doing uh, internally for diversity and inclusion? And do you have alignment between your external, what you're trying to do from an external marketing perspective and your internal alignment? And that's really where, what Stephen's talking about, the group that we're building across CMG, that's where we're trying to operate. Right. And, and you know, when we think about some of the conversations that we've been having this week, you know, where 
good companies are wanting to engage in this conversation and be supportive, but you know, they're afraid that their C-suite or their senior levels of leadership aren't fully represented in the way that they want to now. That doesn't mean that you can't get involved in the conversation. That doesn't mean that there aren't people sure. within your organization to identify who are parts of communities of color who want to be able to be helpful team members to bridge that. Because if not now, when are you going to get in the conversation? You know, as we look out our windows and we hear helicopters over our heads, as we look at television and we listen to, uh, you know, reports across the country of this ongoing issue of racial disparity and injustice, if not now, America, when are you going to get involved? And, you know, when we think about you know, our companies and the things that Marjanae's talking about, this is a, this is a marathon to quote Marjanae and not mm-hmm. a sprint. And what I think about, you know, around growing change at RNCPMK, for example, um, this is the year that they formalized all of the work around diversity and inclusion, around our talent teams, around our brand work, around the years of things that the company has been doing by forming and establishing the first ever multicultural marketing and communications practice. So, you know, every company is going to be on a different piece of the journey, but you can't be on a journey if you don't stand up and take a step. And that's yeah. where I think, you know, we're at with this conversation now. Yeah. Diana, the the last point I'll add there, I think that's so important. I think what brands, um, you know, brands who really are living their values and want to be in this conversation because they want to have an impact, they want to use their influence, their resources, their platform to make a difference. It doesn't, they can do it in ways where they start to do the work, where they start to make impact before they start being getting on Twitter and, and trying to have all this social presence and social energy behind it. The opportunity to promote that work will come after you've done it consistently mm-hmm. and after you have some results to share because the credibility comes out of making a commitment and keeping it. We made a commitment, we kept it. We made another commitment, we kept it. And then suddenly, you know, they're, 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 that you're in a place where your brand, and this is why I think um, Ben and Jerry's and Netflix and, you know, Apple had a good statement and, you know, different um, Nickelodeon, you know, oh, there are certainly brands who, who had a really uh, a good run here because they, they have the track record or they've been bold enough and brave enough to say, we didn't know before, but now that we do, we cannot stay quiet. Now that we know we cannot stay quiet because people will respect that too. Um, you, you, you have to decide who you are first though, because if you do it half in a half-assed way, if I may, yes, uh, that will also come back. <laughs> <laughs> that will also come back to bite you. All right. But I'm, t- I'm, I'm signing up for allies. We need all the help we can get. Absolutely. All right. Great. Well, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Um, timely and with depth. So um, I appreciate the work you're doing and I would appreciate meeting here again because this, this oh, is an ongoing conversation. This is not our last. Thank you well, for helping thank continue you. the conversation. All right. Absolutely. We need your voice too. So okay. All right. see you on the other side. All right. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.